Welcome to episode 2 of The Hate Crime Files, a podcast about crimes typically involving violence, motivated by prejudice based on race, religion, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, or other grounds. This podcast covers disturbing events and may not be suitable for everyone. It is not recommended for young children. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Terrence Heath. This episode is part one of a two-part series examining two cases more recent than the one we delved into for our first episode, the cases of two little boys who faced horrific abuse and shared a terrible fate. In addition to the disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast, listeners should be aware that This episode deals with acts of extreme violence against children. If you find such reports disturbing or traumatizing, this may not be an episode for you. It is, again, not recommended for young children. Often hate crimes involve acts of violence by strangers against strangers. The perpetrator and victim are unknown to each other before the incident in question. Such crimes may often occur in public or semi-public places, like a bar or nightclub, a city street corner, or a suburban neighborhood. But sometimes hatred lives at home. Sometimes the violence comes not from strangers, but from those closest to the victims. Sometimes it comes from those who should be expected to love and care for the victims. This episode involves the cases of two little boys reasonably close in age and location who experienced heinous abuse and died at the hands of those whose responsibility it was to protect and nurture them because they were or were perceived to be different. On June 20th, 2018, paramedics found 10-year-old Anthony Avalos unresponsive in the Mojave Desert, California apartment he shared with his mother, 29-year-old Heather Barron, and her 32-year-old boyfriend, Kareem Leva, and his eight other siblings. Barron had called 911 claiming that Anthony had been injured in a fall. What the paramedics found when they arrived told a very different story. Anthony was unconscious. He'd been lying on his bedroom floor for hours before he received medical attention. He was rushed to Antelope Valley Hospital where medical records show that Anthony was in full cardiac arrest. He was intubated because he couldn't breathe on his own. He had suffered a traumatic brain injury and had a brain bleed. The injuries on Anthony's body told of far worse than a mere fall. He was so thin that his ribs were visible. His eyes were red and he had cuts and bruises and abrasions all over his body from his forehead to his feet. The assistant district attorney in the case would later say that Anthony had injuries all over his body, 
There were injuries to Anthony's side and his hip area, both his left hip and his right hip, and his arms, and even injuries to his feet. Anthony had also suffered multiple blunt force trauma to his body. But who was Anthony Avalos? And how did he come to be lying in a hospital so terribly brutalized and broken? Pictures of Anthony Avalos show a smiling, round-faced little boy with big brown eyes and short, spiked hair. In one photo, he appears to be at school, sitting at a table with a pencil in hand and a worksheet in front of him. In another, he's outside at what looks like a park or a playground with a wooden picnic table in the background. He wears a blue and green striped polo shirt and a grin. He wears the same smile in another picture where he dons a t-shirt with a name tag stuck to the front of it and a backpack on his shoulders. It's difficult to recognize him as the same boy in a final picture. He's lying in a hospital bed, his eyes closed, his lips parted and dry and cracked, a brace stabilizing his head and neck and sensors attached to his head. Anthony's relatives paint a portrait of him as a lively, fun-loving boy who also had a compassionate side. He was very loving and always wanted to cuddle, said his aunt, Maria Barron. Dancing was something he always enjoyed. He loved watching football with his Uncle David. He loved the cowboys. He loved going to the park, she continued. He was good at playing video games. He always enjoyed eating pupusas when his mama would make them for him. His Uncle David Barron said the 10-year-old loved playing sports and being outdoors. He was known for his kindness and inclusiveness. He was known to stand up for others who could not stand up for themselves. If someone was getting bullied, he would tell the bully it wasn't nice to leave them alone, said his uncle. Unfortunately, in the end, there was no one there to do the same for Anthony Avalos. Perhaps one thing made Avalos different from his peers According to reports, Anthony had come out as gay weeks before his death. Department of Children and Family Services Deputy Director Brandon Nichols said Anthony had recently, quote, said he liked boys. His Aunt Maria said it would have been a brave move for Anthony to come out as gay in his home. Relatives described Baron and Leva as homophobic saying that Barron had recently called Anthony an anti-gay slur, and Leva said he was uncomfortable being around gay people. According to the Department of Children and Family Services, abuse was a common theme in Anthony's home. Since 2013, Barron and Leva were the subjects of at least 16 calls from school administrators, a teacher, a counselor, family members, and others. To DCFS or the police alleging child abuse in the home. In one of the alerts to the Child Welfare Agency, the assistant principal at Anthony's elementary school 
called to say Anthony told her he was being forced to dig through trash to find food and that his mom was beating him. No fewer than 12 social workers were assigned to work with Anthony and his family over three and a half years. In at least one of those calls to DCFS, Anthony was named as the victim. The first of those calls, when Anthony was four years old, reported sexual abuse by a grandparent who did not live with him or the other six children living in the home at that time. Social workers got medical care for Anthony and determined that his mother could keep him safe in the future. The family member was never charged, according to Anthony's relatives. Over the next three years, the department looked into ten more referrals focused on Baron and Leva, who lived with Baron off and on after 2014. But when social workers investigated, they sometimes found the reports unsubstantiated or inconclusive. Part of the problem is that any time they would come to my sister's house, they would give her a heads up, said another aunt, Crystal Diuguid, who said she called authorities four or five times out of concern for Anthony's safety. She was able to clean her house, get groceries in her cupboard and all of that, so I think that's one thing that needs to change is the pressure. Don't give any notice to show up. Anthony told representatives from the department in private interviews that he had been beaten, deprived of food, and locked up, according to the agency. This account echoed what the other children told Maria Barron in 2015, prompting her to alert DCFS when she noticed bruises on the children. The children also said Leva locked them in small places where Deprived of the use of a bathroom, they resorted to relieving themselves on the floor. In September 2015, Anthony was removed from the home and taken to live with his Aunt Maria and Uncle David. During this time, Heather Barron completed programs on domestic violence and parenting. Anthony was removed from the home, most likely during this time, and returned when counseling programs were complete. The second time, Anthony stated that his aunt and uncle were going to be his mom and dad from now on, but that wasn't to be. David Barron recalled Anthony staying just two weeks. After the first week, Heather Barron came to visit. David and Crystal said, Heather Barron took Anthony to Chuck E. Cheese's and Burger King and said every day would be like this if he moved back in with her. She promised that Leva would no longer be around, she would be a better mother, and that they would go to the park more. Almost immediately afterward, Anthony told social workers that his relatives had forced him to make up stories about abuse. But the reality was far from the idyllic family life that Heather Barron promised her son. Complaints filed showed that abuse continued in the home. 
In one incident, it was reported that Anthony and three of his siblings were hit with a hose. On another occasion, the children were beaten with a belt on their legs and buttocks, locked in their rooms for hours, and had dirty diapers thrown at them. Deputy District Attorney John Hatami would later write in a motion that Leva hit them with a hose, forced them to squat along a wall for hours in a pose he called the captain's chair, and hurled dirty diapers at them. In one instance, Leva hit Anthony's brother with enough force that the boy needed medical attention and staples to close a head wound. Leva was also accused of lifting Anthony and slamming him on the floor, then kicking him in the stomach. According to a 2016 report, Leva also made the children fight each other. It's difficult, perhaps even unimaginable, to think that a parent would inflict such abuse on a child or stand by and do nothing while another abuses their child. It's still harder to imagine a situation as abusive as that in which Anthony and his siblings lived getting even worse. But that was precisely the case, at least for Anthony. The abuse Anthony suffered at home at the hands of his mother and her boyfriend seemed to intensify in the last weeks of his life after he has said to have come out as gay. Authorities believe that in the final five to six days of his life, Anthony suffered a series of punishments, some quick, some prolonged. He had hot sores poured on his face. He was forced to kneel on rice for extended periods. He was whipped with a belt on his body, legs, buttocks, and the bottom of his feet. He was repeatedly held upside down and dropped on his head. Anthony Avalos suffered at least five days of sustained abuse before he was killed. Anthony's siblings were forced to take part in the abuse. Baron and Leva forced Anthony and his brothers and sisters to fight each other, and even made the other children ages 11 months to 12 years watch Anthony to keep him standing or kneeling. Anthony's eight-year-old sister testified to the grand jury about the abuse. She said that she, Anthony, and another sibling had been made to kneel on rice and that she was made to clean it up afterward. She told the grand jury that Leva would push against their knees with his feet, causing them to cry, and would not stop until they ceased crying. She said Anthony had many boo-boos on his knees as a result of the abuse. Assistant DA Hatami asked her, was there any blood on the rice? To which she answered yes. Anthony's sister said that Leva forced the children to fight each other, saying, so the boys would be in trouble, so Kareem would have me and my older brother 
beat up Anthony or me and Anthony beat up my older brother. She added, Kareem would have us pinch him or sock him, and that Baron watched and never tried to stop it. Anthony's brother also testified that he was forced to wrestle Anthony until he heard him, while Leva and Baron watched. The sister described how food was sometimes used to punish the children and how they were also deprived of food as a punishment. She said that she and her sisters and brothers would be told to eat plain peanut butter on a corn tortilla or bread. They said that since we are in trouble, we can't have real food. They say that's a privilege, she added. Kareem would time us for two minutes or five to eat the tortilla or sandwich. And if we didn't get it on time, because it's nasty, we would get sriracha or tapicio, hot sauce, on it, she told the grand jury. Sometimes the children would be locked in their room and denied food. After her brother left his room one night in search of food, she said Leva installed an alarm on the boys' bedroom door. If the boys, locked in their room, took to urinating on the floor, the girl said Leva would make them sleep in the urine. Kareem would hold their legs, make them lay down, and put their face in the pee, she told the court. Stress positions were also used to punish the children. The sister described how the children were occasionally made to stand in a corner for hours after returning home from school. Sometimes we would like go in the hallway, in the little wall between my room and my mom's room. We would have to go there on our knees and carry books with two weights on top tied all together and we would have to hold it for like 10 minutes. The girl said, if the books fell, she said they were made to start over for another hour. She told the grand jury her mother was sometimes watching the whole thing and never asked anyone to stop. The sister described what happened leading up to the night Anthony was found unresponsive. A lot of times he got hurt, and one morning he woke up and my, he was acting a little weird, so my mom said they were going to go to the hospital, and Anthony said he wanted to sleep, so my mom let him sleep for a little, and when he woke up, my mom said he wasn't breathing. The night before, my mom was, told Anthony that they were going to go to the hospital, Kareem picked him up from his armpits and dropped him on the floor, the girl recalled. He did that about ten times. When Anthony wasn't waking up the next morning, the girl said her mother threw cold water on him. Then she said her mother carried Anthony downstairs and he looked frozen. Baron then called 911. Ten-year-old Anthony Avalos was rushed to Antelope Valley Hospital where he died from his injuries on June 21st, 2018. It took a week for authorities to arrest his mother 
Heather Barron, and her boyfriend, Kareem Leva, was arrested two days later. Both were charged with one count of murder and one count of torture in Anthony's death and one count of child abuse in the alleged beating of the boy's younger brother. Leva faced an additional charge of assault on a child causing death. Each pleaded not guilty, and they were held in lieu of $2 million bail each. Hundreds of mourners attended Anthony's funeral on July 20th, 2018. Many wore superhero t-shirts at the family's request in honor of Anthony, whose favorite hero was Spider-Man. It was a touching tribute to a little boy who desperately needed a hero of his own. Services were held at St. Junipero Serra Parish Church in Quartz Hill, and Anthony was interred at Good Shepherd Cemetery. The Joint Legislative Council in Sacramento approved a request to the California State Auditor to review the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services. The audit will specifically investigate DCFS to see if they have adequate practices to identify and protect LGBTQ youth. Legislators say they were moved to action by the death of Anthony Avalos. On October 3rd, the L.A. County District Attorney's Office announced that both Barron and Leva faced an additional allegation that Anthony's killing was intentional and involved the infliction of torture. That means if convicted, they could be put to death. Thanks for listening to The Hate Crime Files. I'll be back with another episode on the first of the month, part two of this two-part series. The Hate Crime Files is researched, written, produced, and hosted by Terrence Heath. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, please subscribe, tell your family and friends about it, and consider leaving a positive review at iTunes Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, be careful out there and be good to each other.